You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Praise the Lord. Um, 1 Corinthians 5, get in your Bibles. We are working our way through 1 Corinthians We've taken it pretty much verse by verse through chapter 4, and tonight um, I was to preach this message a week or two ago, but um, fell ill, it was two weeks ago, and then uh, last week we were gone, and then, um, yeah. So anyway, chapter 5, as we get into chapter 5, brand new subject, now as you know, Um, God has been dealing with such a strong element of pride in the church, people running to different groups and saying, I want to be with you, or "We're, we're of this group, we're of that group. And there were different factions in the church that is absolutely against uh, the mind of Christ. And you'll hear me say this Sunday morning, God willing, that uh, um, we ought to look at ourselves as a family that all, every one of the brothers and sisters get along in the family with every other one of the brothers and sisters in the family. And uh, to trust that God is really the head of this uh, church, this body of believers, and let God lead us. So not be divided like they were in the first four chapters. And Paul, I mean, guys, you that have been with me in this have been in studies in 1 Corinthians before, You can't help but notice how much time he spent on that, trying to get the factions out and making sure we work together in unity. So he, uh, I won't say abruptly, but it is abrupt. Uh, He changes the subject totally differently now. So here's Paul. Um, You'll hear me say this often that it's like Paul was peering in the back of a church and watching it happen over the last several months, sees what's going on, possibly even hears what other members are telling him about their church and about what's happening inside the church. And now he's dealt with certain issues that were problems and now comes to a totally different problem that's made its way inside the house of God in chapter 5. And if you'll follow along with me, it'll become apparent to you very quickly and he wants to deal with it in a very godly way. Verse 1, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Do you understand what he was just saying there? That one should have his father's wife. We'll give more detail about what that probably was here in just a moment. And notice it says, here's a, you say, well, that's a problem. Yes, but probably a twin problem to the next one. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed, mentioned in verse 1, might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, because this is a letter he's writing to them about this, But present in spirit, as you can just count on it, my heart and soul is in the middle of this, 
Notice what he says about himself, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ or his authority on all of this, what should we do, he's telling them, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. We'll describe that a little more in detail as well. Your glorying is not good. So he's rebuking them for their attitude about all of this. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world." But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If a man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one, know not to eat. The idea there is not to encourage their lifestyle or to seem like you're putting your stamp of approval on their actions. Verse 12, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Let's pray there. God, we're grateful again to be back in church again tonight and to be able to take the Word of God and to bring it uh, a very relevant subject to today and uh, see how you would apply that even to our congregation here tonight. Give us tender hearts, sensitive hearts to you to understand this is the word of God and not the word of a man and that you know what's best for us, Lord. So please, may you put your hand of blessing on this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, if anybody's done any kind of a study on the book of either of the books of Corinthians, you you would know and understand Corinth was a hotbed of immorality in many ways. Um, It would have not been a good place, uh, a family-friendly atmosphere to raise your family in, not. Uh, The culture in that day thought that, and this was their mindset in that day, that sex was just, you know, it was just a natural thing in humanity. Uh, To them, it was no different than, you know, if you got thirsty, you go got a drink. Uh, If you get sleepy, you go get some rest. If you desired someone physically, then it was okay to be with them physically. Just the normal thing to do in that day. It was odd to preach otherwise. It was something they were totally unfamiliar with. And if anybody has ever spent any time in a third world country today, you would know and understand that immorality is the accepted thing in most third world countries. And, uh, and so for a missionary to lead folks to Christ 
and then to teach them, you know, here's what God's way now says. We need to be willing to lay aside the ways, uh, you know, before you got saved. You need to lay those ways aside and understand there is a way that's right unto God. So, uh, it just wasn't immoral to them. As a matter of fact, it was a part of their temple worship to, to be with the temple prostitutes. was part of their worship uh, of their God. So, um, they couldn't understand how preaching about fornication, how that could be a, 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 an immoral act. It was puzzling to the world around them. Well, of course, the natural man or the unsaved man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God uh, because the things of the Spirit of God are spiritually discerned or understood. So you understand how the world would look at it. They just can't grasp that. So that was the prevailing attitude of society. Please listen to what I'm, I'm saying. I think it's very important that we try to grasp what has happened here. Um, so this was one of the battles the church at Corinth was battling. To keep that gross misinterpretation of what was acceptable as far as sexual sins out of the church. You guys know as well as I do that um, it has been a battle all your Christian life and all my Christian life and been in church all my life (laughs) Uh, and nine months prior to birth I was in church. And it's a battle. Every preacher I've ever been under, it's been a battle to try to keep the ways of the world out of the church. Uh, Obviously technology, that's not what we're talking about you know, the way you can progress with, with uh, nice buildings and so forth. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the world and its attitude about sin and immorality. And preachers have tried for years to try to preach about sin, to keep sin out of the church. And this was a battle that they're going to face at this church here because the immorality was unbelievable. It was openly on the streets. I remember years ago when you guys sent me and my wife on a, our trip uh, to Israel, uh, and we dropped down into Greece, Athens, Greece, and um, and I'm talking, man, that's been a hundred years ago too. But but it was just a common thing. You had to just walk with your eyes straight ahead, because plastered on the storefronts uh, were advertisements, and and in America they're scantily clad, but over there they're not clad, <laughs> and it's just their environment. They're like, what are you talking about? immoral, sinful. They just grew up around that. It was what was natural to them. But guys, when you got saved, you're now supernatural. You're no longer the natural man that you used to be. And Corinth was having a problem with that. That attitude had come slipping in the church doors, and, uh, and, and you read about it, and we'll talk about it here in depth here in just a moment. But if I could put it this way, First Baptist Church of Corinth uh, was losing this battle, and in the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, you see, you know, what I talked about, this pride of division. Uh, My group is better than your group. But in chapter 5, pride raises its ugly head again in another area. They have immorality in the church, and they are still so proud I mean, all these little groups are running around. We're so proud about how gifted we are. We have the gift of tongues. We have the gift of, uh, you know, go down the long list of things that they have listed. And they felt like we were, we're so strong Christians and, and I'm with this person and I'm with that person. And they spent so much time 
on those little thoughts and how gifted they were, they have completely overlooked the immorality of what was happening right in the middle of their church. So number one, let's get right into it. First, Paul deals with their need to discipline. Look in verses 1 and 2 again, and you'll see what the need was. It's reported, big word here, guys, big, big word, commonly, that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, the kind of fornication you guys have going on in your church, that is, that one should have his father's wife, and you're puffed up. But not rather mourn that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Because that, that thing will begin to spread like a cancer throughout a church. So let, let's talk for a minute about fornication. What is, what is fornication? The word fornication comes from the word pornea, from which we get our word pornography. It's a common word to most of us. Um, fornication is it's a generic word uh, that has a lot of other more specific Uh, definitions that fall underneath that. Things, uh, lots of sexually immoral acts could fall under the category of fornication. Of course, adultery being one, uh, the act of sex with somebody other than your spouse, and yet it falls under the category of fornication because it, uh, it is a sexual sin falling under the category of fornication. There's many others. You've probably read about many of these in the Bible, some in our society today. Bestiality, pornography, incest, which was what was taking place here in the Bible, homosexuality, or even sexual relations between two unmarried people. And in the case here in chapter 5 at Corinth, a man was having sexual relations with his, and what it appears in every way to be, that he was having a relationship with his own stepmother. It sure appears that way, uh, and this is obviously a case of incest uh, here tonight. Now hold your place here. Let me just give you a little bit of an idea about God's mindset about the subject. Hold your place here, and let's go quickly back to the book of Leviticus. Just give you some ideas. Leviticus. Everybody doing good tonight, wide awake? Are you nice and cozy? Please don't say amen to cozy. I don't know what that means next. All right. Leviticus 18, drop down with me to verse 7 and 8. Notice in verse 7, verse 7 says, The nakedness of thy father or the nakedness of thy mother shalt thou not uncover. She is thy mother. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover. Uncover, it is thy father's nakedness. Drop down to verse 29. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. You say, well, preacher, that was, a, that was during the law. But I will tell you, that is the absolute mind of God about that subject. God hates that. Uh, go on over to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22. Deuteronomy 22. And drop down there to verse 30, just a follow-up. Verse 30, and a man shall not take his father's wife, nor discover his father's skirt. And I could have taken you to numbers of other places, 
but I think you're going to begin to get the idea. God hates this kind of sexual immorality. He doesn't like it to run rampant in his people, uh, especially at, at the house of God. So um, of, of all types, by the way, not just the, the incest that was going on here. So within the marriage, it is holy to the Lord. Outside of marriage, it's a gross sin to God. Now go to the right, to the, uh, to the book of Hebrews chapter 13, if you will. Hebrews 13. Everybody there? Nope. Anybody there say amen? All right, that's better. Look in Hebrews 13 and drop down with me to verse 4. God's mindset here in the New Testament day and age as well. Marriage is honorable. And I could just stop right there and preach. Marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled. That's, That's a holy thing to God within the bounds of marriage. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Now back over to where we have been. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, okay? So now Paul even tells them that the heathen that lived around them wouldn't allow for such practices. Even Roman law in that day and age strictly forbid incest. Rome wouldn't even allow that. You know, Rome, (laughs) anybody ever done any study on Rome? Just a wicked immoral, ungodly nation and fell because of it, but they wouldn't even allow incest. It was uh, unspeakable to them. And yet here were the Christians doing things that even a lost world wasn't uh, in the practice of doing. They forbid that practice. So the wording makes it sound as if uh, this had been going on for some time and that it was currently continuing to happen. If you read Paul's wording there, you can kind of get the sense of that. And what was so striking to Paul, guys, listen, was the church's attitude about all of this. I brought it out in verse 2, but would you look at it there with me again? He said, guys, you're puffed up. If not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now that is the mindset of God working through the apostle Paul. This is not an issue to them whatsoever. No shock value to it. No great uprising was happening within the church, even though this was going on. Uh, It was business as usual for that church. Uh, They were more concerned with their partisanship than they were with uh, the righteousness and the Word of God. And possibly they could be thinking that within Christianity, now that we're saved, there's, there's liberty in the Lord now. You don't have to have such tight and strict restrictions within Christianity now, now that we are saved, but oh my goodness, guys, there's lots of liberty within the bounds of the Word of God. That's where liberty is to be found in the structure of God's Word, not outside of the, uh, the structure of God's Word. And I'll tell you what, the world will scream at the church today that those who will teach and preach from the Word of God are bigoted and narrow-minded. And I, I would just have to say, my mind can only be as broad as the Word of God is. Anything that's willing to go outside the Word of God is in dangerous territory. And Paul even said, those within the church you judge, those on the outside of the church God will judge. He said that right in the passage of Scripture. It's not a little thing to God is what he's trying to, to get across to them. Clearly what should have been happening was that they should have mourned over this egregious sin 
And guys, a church that does not mourn over sin is on the edge of spiritual disaster. When it's no big deal to you, and if I could go through a list of of, uh, major sins that are just prominent in uh, in our world here today, and you can yawn your way through those thoughts again uh, or, or today in your own heart and mind, I mean, something's horribly, horribly wrong with that. To feel like it's not a big deal, so what? It's made its way into the house of God or whatever. No big deal, maybe to you, but it is the word of God to God and ought to be to man. So when sin is not repented of, it spreads like an infection throughout a church. I remember in Bible college, I, I, when I was a kid, I w- we used to run around as kids with the shirt off, and, and uh, we were playing uh, hide-and-go-seek, and, and uh, so whoever was it started counting, and I took off running. I was at my cousin's house, and there was a weed patch back there, and I knew nobody was going to find me there. I literally dove into that patch, landed on my back, and lay there in the biggest patch of poison ivy you have ever seen in your life. It was horrible. I had blisters up on my back forever. And so I'm very allergic to it. And in Bible college, um, this guy had come in. uh, uh, He had been pulling weeds out and working on campus. And he goes, I got into some poison oak. It's all over my arm. And I said, don't touch me. I don't want it. I don't want it. And I remember him taking his hand like this and wiping it on my on my arm. Oh boy, I was mad at him. I did not want that. I washed my, I washed my whole side of my whole body. I really did. And so far I haven't caught it yet, but uh, it spreads. I mean, that stuff just works its way through your body and that's the way the, uh, the cancer of sin does and immorality when we just treat it like it's no big deal, it begins to spread. I remember the missionary that had gone to Africa or Brazil, I've shared this with you before, but it just stands out to me how they had, um, their people were getting so sick and many of them were dying and their little infants had these distended bellies and, and they went and took water out of the river that they had been drinking from and put a drop of it under a microscope and, and you know, uh, drew the microscope up just, just right and showed them the little things that were crawling around in the water that they were drinking and said, this is what is killing you. They gave a name to whatever it was and it's, you know, it's making you, you're sick and it's spreading throughout your village. And their answer to that, the, the natives answer to that was they knew how to take care of those little bugs. They took the microscope and squashed it. <laughs> said there, now we don't have any more bugs. And that's, Many times the way a church can become, guys, if we are not careful, our mindset is to just take away the thing that focuses on a problem and and don't make such a big deal out of it and everything will be okay. Well, everything's not going to be okay if it's sin in the house of God. If it's sin in your personal life and you think that somehow by shoving the microscope away and thinking that as long as I don't see it, everything's going to be okay, you're infected and don't even realize that. That's what Paul is trying to say to this church. You guys should have, you know, this guy is unrepentant and unwilling to change his lifestyle, so he needs to be moved out um, from infecting the rest of the church. It's the way it is with many people's lives. They don't want to have their sins exposed, but they need to be confronted with the openness of their sin. And after Paul confronts the Corinthians with the need to discipline Number two, Paul then deals with the method to discipline them. How do you go about doing that? Look in verse two again. And ye are puffed up and have not, 
uh, rather mourn that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, or truly, as absent in body but present in spirit, have judged already. He's already know God's given me the mindset about this. As though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. So here's what you do. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is not done by some man's decree. This is not what a man thinks. This is what Jesus is saying. When you're gathered together and my spirit, as an apostle, is also authority there, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, here's what you should have done. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Whoa, somebody says, that's pretty mean. I mean, where's the compassion uh, for someone uh, like that? I mean, who would just take somebody and just cast them out of your church like that and treat someone like that? You need to listen to this um, very carefully. The thing you need to understand right now is this, that this was a man that was very unrepentant. Uh, It was no big deal to him. Apparently, it was in the wind that this was... uh, you know, probably not okay, and you know, you may want to think about this a little bit, possibly, but it was nothing to him. And him and his stepmother uh, had no problem blatantly in the church making it known that they were an item, sadly. He continued to live in an open-handed way, um, which is a sin and a disgrace to God, and it was a disgrace to that church. So God tells them that this man should have been removed from them with with that kind of an attitude. Uh, This is what we call church discipline or excommunication. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 18. Would you please do that? Look to the left here, Matthew chapter 18. Um, We're going to start reading in verse 15. I want you all to see this. Matthew 18 and verse 15. All right, so here's what you need to know about what we're about to read. This is all in the context of church discipline. Every verse we're going to read. So, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and as a publican. In other words, somebody that doesn't, as if they don't know Christ. And it's not like they can't be a, come and visit the church, but they just don't have the fellowship. You can't put your stamp of approval on them. Verse 18, verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I will agree with you on that, God says. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, in other words, God, would you help get this ugly situation straightened out in our church that we can have the unity and godliness that you want? So if any two agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's a passage about God being in the midst of them where two or three are gathered together. It's talking about when people are coming together to try to make things right in the house of God. 
Jesus said, you bet I'm going to be right there with you. I'll be in the midst of you. And any church that's trying to bring brethren back together into a right relationship, I'll be right there. That's what the cross of Christ was really all about. So that's in the context of church discipline. And it's not a lack of love on God or the church's part, but rather God's love for his people to keep them and his body, the church, pure for him. And Paul tells them he's already judged this man without even being there. Apparently, the news of this guy and this woman had traveled as far uh, away as where the Apostle Paul was at that time. That's how the news had traveled. That's how well-known this subject really was. And then he tells them that they, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, needed to deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And guys, all that means is this. Please listen. In this case, I'm telling you to do what Jesus would do, deliver this man over to Satan. And again, what does that mean? Well, what does the Bible describe Satan as? He's described as the prince of this world. And if this man is cast out of the church, he's now into the realm of Satan. He's just not under that protective umbrella of the house of God, the church of God. And Satan loves nothing more than to destroy our bodies. Just ask Job. Man, I'm in the middle of that book right now, more toward the end of the book right now. In my mind, did Job ever suffer? And Satan loved it. Somebody might say, well, why does God allow something like this to happen? And verse 5 answers that. Why would God allow someone to be dismissed if they're unrepentant? Verse 5 again, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Did you hear that last phrase? That the spirit may be saved in the day of of the Lord Jesus. This man is a Christian. Guys, listen, this man is a Christian, but he's not living like a Christian right now, very obviously. So God allows him to experience life Satan style, to wake him up to his foolishness. And if he's not under the blessing and the umbrella of the house of God, and he's out in the world, I mean, Satan is going to go for him like never before. And since he is a Christian, though, his spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I mean, that prodigal son, I think he was a lost man, personally. I think the prodigal son was not a saved guy who got backslidden and then came back home. I do believe the prodigal son was able to turn back to his daddy and had a repentant heart, though, because of the way the world was coming at him as long as he was out from under his daddy's house. And as long as a man, please hear this, guys, when a man's not under the umbrella, if you let me use that word, of uh, the house of God, and that man has been dismissed out into the world, then Satan is going to go after that man. And the idea is that that man will understand this is not the way I want to live my life. I hate the kind of things that are happening to me. You know what happens to somebody when the world is allowed to come at them you know, full steam ahead. Satan will do everything he can against that person. He hates Christians. And the idea is intended to draw that man back to the house of God and realize it's never so good when I'm walking with the Lord. So next week, we're going to finish this chapter. But uh, if I can just say this again tonight, God hates, very clearly in the Bible, God hates sexual immorality. 
Some closing comments. America has the unique place in history of being the first nation founded upon Christian beliefs. And until the 1960s, America maintained much of its Christian heritage, but immorality and paganism are now commonplace within churches even. And like the Corinthians, American Christians are often adapting their Christianity to fit within the corrupted mold of an increasing pagan society. And what Christianity is choosing to do is to alter their core beliefs, these in the Word of God, in the hopes of blending in with a godless society. Maybe the world will think more of us. Maybe the world will want to be more a part of us if we just begin to look more like them. Well, guys, you bleed out to where you're not Christianity any longer anymore anyway. And if you're just like the world, why would they feel like they need to come into a house of God to be just like the rest of the world? The world's out there. God doesn't take it lightly when Christians blatantly, especially publicly, as this man did, live an open life of immorality. And it doesn't matter if it's a sexual sin or whatever it might be that a Christian may choose to live their life by. Open, blatant sin. That's not to excuse private sin, obviously. It's another whole message. But tonight, God is dealing with open, blatant, known immorality. And he says, when it's known in a church, keep your purity, keep the house of God uh, looking like the house of God. That's uh, as he shared it with us. We'll finish up all these other verses, uh, Lord willing, next week. So if you'll hold your place there for the coming week and take, take your prayer sheets out, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.